Hey, what's up, everyone? Welcome to the Pitcher Bet Sports Podcast. I am Matt Guest. That is Matt Morris. Hi, sir. How are you? What up? We got a little guest coming on today. I don't know if the camera can see her. She uh, she has graduated to being in my lap now, and I record. So, uh, you know, it's great for the visual hooks, which she didn't get engaged for earlier that we were trying to, you know, knock out. But here well, she it's is. Cause you, it's because you were screaming at the camera. Yeah, you know? I mean, like that, that. That's why you, you She's were also, getting upset. She's a union uh, actor, so you know she that's had her true. union break. Um, you know she's seven hours on set, and uh, when <laughs> we know when we start shooting, she's here. Like you know, she knows she knows what's in the contract. Yeah, she knows what's in the contract, but she'll will. I'd give it like twenty more minutes, and uh, she'll be barking and being like, "Hey, I need to go outside for a walk." Actually, I need to go poop, but that's okay. Oh, no, she's I was a, wel- say, she's a welcome addition to the feed. She's the she's the best looking thing on camera right now. That's for sure. You know, I, I did want to preface this. This is my dog, not my wife. I, I know it could be confusing, but yeah, my, my I don't dog know if that is made it any better. <laughs> was that the, like the most ma- ma- was it, ma- misogynistic thing I've ever said? For sure. I'm Cancel. definitely talking about my dog, not my wife. <laughs> She's not a welcome guest on the podcast. Uh, no, that's great. But it was because you were getting upset as we're, you know, filming some stuff for for the week for our socials uh we're youtube guys now you know super late to the party um small rant about if you're trying to be successful or do something just fucking do it you know like mm. we're, we're just out here trying to be perfectionists like just 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 fire away that, that that'll be my two cents just fire away people don't like it that's okay there's what well, three billion people on this earth it's funny. Um, I, we were watching, gosh, what is it? For all mankind, I think on Apple TV. Have you watched this yet? I Mm-mm. think you you haven't, but you have Apple TV, right? I do. Yeah, I uh, I've taken a break from some Apple stuff. Apple was firing with some of the best shows I have seen, um, but I haven't been back on in a little bit. But okay, I do have so it. Yes, Joel Kitman stars. I think I said his name right. Um, he was in Altered Carbon. Suicide Squad and a number of other movies. Awesome. Love him. You know, moon shows about going to the moon. The premise is, you know, let's change history back and, you know, Russia beats us to the moon, right? So that's how the whole story arc starts off. So it's an alternate universe, alternate reality. And the actor that is portraying Warner Von Braun, I thought has one of the like the most cementing small statements that I've seen in a long time in film, whether it's TV shows or movies. And it was just regarding fear. And of course, I don't have you know the quote up as I'm referencing all of this like I should, but it was essentially talking about fear and like how you get to decide which indicators are actually fearful and important for you to monitor and which ones are just simply the subconscious you know, stopping you from essentially going out and achieving. And I think that's to your point of just doing and even Shia LaBeouf's crazy video, which is probably 10 years ago now, <laughs> seriously, we're getting old. Um, but you know, we're like, we're you know, afraid of a lot of things in life. And I don't think doing this and starting this three years ago was necessarily easy or hard, but we had to do it and we've had to do every step of the way. And like, we're at the point now where I think growth is just around the corner and kind of, you know, materializing our, our goals is right within our grasp. And it's like, we have to still do. And, um, yeah, it's not easy, but it is, it's rewarding. Um, yeah, and that's and that's why the shitty videos will stay up on YouTube more for, more for the memories than anything than the catalog. Uh, 
to be honest. It is. Dude, we have, hey, we're at seven subscribers. <laughs> we are on our way. Boom, 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 boom. Um, yeah, man. Uh, did they uh, they talk about the firmament? I'm just kidding. We can move on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> on our new podcast, <laughs> is the firmament um, real? We we have a pretty fun uh, <laughs> podcast. I rock my first uh, my first individual story in quotes here uh, in this podcast today. A little bit about the trade deadline. Or sorry, not the trade deadline. That the the franchise tag is our last and, one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And how it. Uh, how it came about and a little bit of history behind it and a little bit of education on what it is, why it works, why it doesn't work, so on and so forth. So we'll run to that in a little bit, but I did want to follow up on our little bit of our baseball talk from last time, because coming into our podcast last time, we were talking baseball. Um, we were talking about Scott Boris, right? And we've had two of the guys get signed. Um, we are still waiting for Blake Snell and Montgomery or just Blake Snell. Did Chapman Montgomery. sign? I don't, or did he? I don't know. Actually, I don't so know. If he I know did. Bellinger signed. I, Obviously, Bellinger was that, the big one. Yeah. Bellinger was the big one. Um, but I know we're still waiting on Snell. Actually, I don't think. I definitely don't think Montgomery signed. But uh, more or less, wanted to talk about Bellinger because when I saw the contract, kind of to what we were talking about last week, and when you talked about Boris and his style, like it worked. Yep. Yeah, and and I think it's huge for Bellinger because. This is essentially three one-year deals. It's $30 million the first year, it's $30 million the second year, and it's $20 million the third year, but he has an opt-out after the first and second year. So if he has a great season this year, he's opting out. He's hitting the free agent market. Teams that had concerns at his consistency and his ability to rebound from his you know, really poor performance in those two, two and a half years in L.A., he can now bring to the table, well, look, you know, I made some changes, I made some adjustments, I matured, I got a little bit older. This is now who I am. Here's two years of data. Sign me for $250 million. Awesome, awesome move. Now, Boris also did that with Carlos Correa, and Correa cashed in. And now Correa, as we know, has been an underperforming superstar who's paid a lot of money. So I'm curious to see what happens in this season for Cody Bellinger. I think the motivating fact that he's in another contract year, if he needs to be, is huge. And Worst case scenario, last year was a mirage. He, you know, maybe his batted ball data was real. The approach doesn't hold up and he has a bad season. Well, hey, I can come back in 2025 and try and sign another 80 to $100 million deal and I can walk off into the sunset, you know, knowing I made over $100 million in baseball. And if he's just bad in general, he makes $80 million. So I think it was a great deal for the Cubs, a great deal for Bellinger. And this buys the Cubs' top prospects more time to get comfortable, to find their own swings. And if Bellinger leaves, they do have replacement players that can come in and facilitate that role coming into 2025. Yeah, that's what I thought too when I looked at the the Cubs roster after seeing the signing. I was like, you know what? They still need to they still needed to keep some veterans on that squad, right? Like him and Dansby, Dansby Swanson are a nice nucleus um, of in quotes of vets, basically guys on their second, third contract, right? Guys that have won and been to World Series, right? Because I know it's, you know, they got Craig Council and that's a topic we'll probably go over once the season goes in and all the shit he's been talking on Milwaukee and all the subtle jabs and all that stuff. But he's going to bring a new system. He's going to bring a new style. He's going to have a new emphasis on probably the younger players in the farm system there. But
But if they do want to remain competitive in the central, which I know everyone is hyping up the Reds, right? And that they're kind of the team that's looking to take the next step. We don't really know what's going to go on with Milwaukee with their um, their bad pitching staff. The Cardinals are kind of in limbo as well, right? Like everyone, at least everything I've been seeing, I don't know if you've, it's been different. It's like, oh, it's going to be the Reds year. Like I still technically think the central is wide open. I still need to see the Reds sustain success for a long period of time. They were fun for a couple months last year. Um, but I, I think it was a really, really good signing for both sides. And I'm interested to see what Bellinger does. Cause I was personally shocked by the success that he had last year in Chicago. I thought it was more of a ticket sales money grab sign last year. Like, Hey, we got Cody Bellinger, right? Uh, we got Dansby Swanson. We have a couple of these guys that will get you coming into the ballpark, but our team's not going to be that good. And that isn't the Chicago Cubs team we got last year. So, um, all in all, I think it was interesting. Uh, we thought when we were making our posts for this week and doing some stuff and collabing for tonight and recording, we thought Snell, you thought Snell would be on the Yankees already today. What mm. do you think is is holding up that deal? I think it's a little different in regards to pitching as it is for hitting. Hitting, if you don't sign sooner than later, teams will find players to facilitate those roles. And as you get closer to opening day or as you get into the first week or two weeks of the season, you don't have as much negotiating power. Now, with pitching, everyone always needs pitching. So I think it's almost in Blake Snell's best interest if, let's just say, he has two offers on the table. Who's being spoken about right now is New York and Seattle. Give it another week, maybe there's an injury. Give it two more weeks, maybe there's two injuries. And now you go back to that organization and you say, okay, well, you know, you were offering 120. We're not signing for less than 150 because you need it. And we are happy to sit and wait, or we're happy to take the Yankees offer for 130, right? But we are not signing here in Seattle for less than X amount of dollars. Pitching just has a different uh, amount of leverage attached to it. And with that being said too, I believe pitching also takes a little bit longer to ramp up from the hitting perspective. You're either working out in the off season and you're training and you're hitting or you're not. Now, yeah, you're not maybe seeing live pitching, but pitching machines are far advanced as they were 10 years ago. And I do believe you can get yourself engaged at least enough to hit the ground running after a week or two of your Cody Bellinger. Yeah. So they don't have the little green screen where the guy looks like he's actually throwing on the TV. That's like sick, isn't it? it? Yeah. It was so, it's so have cool you seen the you. samurai that slices the baseball? <laughs> no. It's unbelievable. <laughs> They've got it cranked up to like 95 and he, um, I'm going to probably use my, you know, mid, mid, Midwestern accent lisp here, but he D sleeves sheaves. You get what I'm saying? You know, pulls the sword out of the little holster. There's a name for it. I don't, I don't know. So, so the holster has a name okay, and it's like maybe, the, maybe D sleeves. I, I actually don't know what you're talking about, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, there's, so there's he, an actual he takes term, it out, right? He takes yeah. it out of the holster and I wait, I'll Google it when we get done tonight. Um, I'm not sure I'm capable of saying the word itself because, you know, there are certain words that I just, for whatever reason, cannot articulate, but yeah, it takes it out of the holster as like 95s coming down the pipe and just cuts it in half. It's what insane, dude. And he does it over and over and over. It's like this guy could have been Babe Ruth, but instead he was just out here killing people in the backwoods of China. Wild. <laughs> that's crazy yeah find that send that to me that that's pretty sick um do you think you could touch 90 on a pitching machine on a pitching machine and by touch i I mean like put one up the middle um 
20 balls. Oh, no, not 20 balls. No, 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 no. So how many, how great... many do you think you would need? How many do you think you'd have to track hours. with your eyes? Before? Hours. hours, hours, hours. I could touch hours. 90 today, 20 balls. You think so? Mm-hmm. I mean, you saw 90 though. I never saw 90. That's the difference. It's fucking you know? 15 years ago. Yeah, well, I'm just saying, dude. I like I've uh, the highest I've ever seen is 86. That's and then that was chucking it for kids in the Midwest, you know? Yeah. And honestly, the kid had absolutely no idea where it was going. So you got in the batter's box and your first reaction was, How fast can I hit the dirt? It wasn't That's like, true. okay, let me square this thing up. It was like, please God, don't hit my temple. Um, and kill me. So there's a great video of, of Trevor Bauer, you know, doing Trevor Bauer things on his social media and with his social media brand, pitching to one of the guys from Barstool. Watched it last night. Yeah, and, I actually saw that. Yeah. And the kid kid takes him Smoke for a couple singles. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, he had said, well, you know, I, I've been practicing and it's like, he's, when you watch the video, he's by far not nearly as athletic as we are. I mean, and his mechanics for his swing are pretty disgusting. And he still like got off some really nice, nice hacks against Bauer. Now also like, I don't know if it's just me, but Trevor Bauer, like <laughs> you should be able to wipe the floor with an amateur person. So maybe Bauer's lost it a little bit, but it was 93. Yeah, I, I saw that too. It was impressive. That was also why I wanted to ask. But also, like, I haven't seen a pitch that fast in probably 15 years. I also, like, have drank a lot more since that time in my life, you know, gotten fatter. Uh, I'd like to think I'm as athletic as I am, but I'm not, you know. So we'll see. Maybe maybe, uh, maybe next time I'm in Vegas, we'll have to, we'll have to hit the batting cage because in my little town, uh, we don't have shit like that out here. I so. also feel like, and I haven't hit on them, but I feel like the video screens that you're talking about are, Those are a wild. huge advantage because the biggest issue I ever had with the cage was it's just timing. Like you can't get your mechanics per, like perfectly synced up before the thing stops. And then you got to go back, put the coin in, you know, walk back over. All right. Sync yourself back up. And the first ball comes and you're like, yep, out of sync already. Great. So 20 balls and buzzes you under the chin and you're like, all right, I'm over this. So advancement Um, to, uh, to cap that little thing. I I just, I think it's easier for hitters to get ready for the season than it is for pitchers, but I do think pitchers have more leverage. Yeah, that makes sense. It it makes a ton of sense. And especially for the guy who just won the Cy Young, you know, the Orioles come to mind. They just lose a pitcher. It's like, I'm sure Boris is on the phone. Like, okay, you know, we'll, we'll see how it goes after the first 15 games. Like you guys lose five of eight to start the season. Like, don't be surprised if you see him in Baltimore or something. Right. Well, um, and I think it's, I think it's exactly the same deal. Cody got, you know, yeah, three or four years, big time annual value right up front opt outs left and right. You know, like fine. Like, all right. Like, you know, if I get hurt, I got an opt out next year, you know, or I got an opt out in the third year and then I'm a free agent. Like he'll get his money. It's just, I think it is down to Seattle and New York and, you know, a third team could, could step in and, and get it done. Yeah, for sure. Um, all right, well, let's transition. We'll, uh, we'll, we'll move into the franchise tag talk here. Um, basically to intro it franchise tag next week, deadline is March 5th. 
for teams to designate a franchise tag. We've already seen it with T Higgins, uh, Ladarius Sneed for the Chiefs. I'm sure we'll have a lot more by the time we're recording next week, but uh, we talked about it. We're just going to do, I think the total time is like seven minutes or something. Just a pretty short little explanation of like my big question coming into it and something we wanted to answer and get on the pod for you guys and for our listeners is uh, why the hell uh, does the NFL have a franchise tag? Like pretty straight, pretty straightforward. No other league in major sports, major American sports has it. So um, talk a little bit about how it started, what the franchise tag actually is, um, guys that have been abused by it, and then ultimately some provisions that have been put into place and the dilemma that the NFL and players find themselves in. So uh, pretty fun story. Why the fuck does the NFL have a franchise tag? Let's go back to the roots and the origin. Back to 1993, a year with no cell phones, no Twitter, no YouTube, not even a single podcast. The NFL owners were negotiating a CBA that included new propositions of something called a salary cap, also something called free agency. And that's when Broncos owner Pat Bolin refused to sign the CBA, saying, quote, I cannot agree to this deal. I have to be able to keep John. Yeah. The John he was talking about was John Elway, thus creating at the time in 93, the Elway rule, which is now what we call the modern day franchise tag. In 93, the owners genuinely intended to have the rule so that teams would be able to hold on to their franchise quarterback and their franchise quarterback only. That was the only reason it was created, allegedly. Even the head lawyer for the players, Jim Quinn, was quoted at the time saying, I never thought it would apply to any other player on an NFL team. Little did they know, only five years later in 1998, the Ravens would use the franchise tag for the first time on a position player named Wally Williams. Remember him? I don't. He was a lineman. Changing the use of the NFL franchise tag forever. Here's a quick explanation of the franchise tag for us NFL fans. The franchise tag is a tool NFL teams can use to retain an unrestricted free agent on a one-year, fully guaranteed, non-negotiated contract for the player. Now, there are two types of franchise tags in the NFL. First is the exclusive, meaning what it sounds like, right? It means the players cannot negotiate with any other team. They are exclusively franchise tagged with the team that they're currently on. Now, how that works is that their current team has to pay them a salary based on the top five salaries at their position during this current year, which is key, or 120% of their previous salary. So it's whichever number is higher. The second type of franchise tag is the non-exclusive tag, meaning the player ain't exclusive. They can go negotiate with any other team. Them and their agent can go and negotiate with any other team. Unless you're Lamar Jackson, of course, you and your mom go up there and no one else wants to sign you, which is a topic for another video. Anyways, here is the catch with the non-exclusive tag. If the player agrees to a deal with a different team, the original team has the opportunity to match the deal or big or be awarded two first round picks as compensation of having them in the non-exclusive franchise tag. Massive difference. Also, the second difference is that 
the salary, the pay for that year, if they do end up staying on the tag, is based on the average of the top five salaries at the player's position from the previous five years applied to the current salary cap or 120% of their previous salary. And they do receive whichever number is higher, just like the exclusive tag. So the massive difference in pay, if you do stay on the exclusive or the non-exclusive is that the exclusive gets the top five salaries at this current year. The non-exclusive is the five years applied to the current salary cap, which is pretty crazy, honestly. So that bears the question, what is a position worth on a franchise tag right now, a quarterback is 36 million. A running back is 11 million wide receiver, just about 21 million tight end, 12 million offensive line, 19.9 million defensive tackle, just about 21 million defensive end, 20 million linebacker, almost 23 million cornerback, 18 million safety, 16 million. And then our good friends, the kicker and punters shout out Pat McAfee, 5.6 million dollars on the franchise tag let's go back <laughs> 93 was 31 years ago right to where we started this story in the franchise tag and we know that they aren't just franchise tagging quarterbacks anymore as we saw with the previous numbers it just goes back to the classic saying if you give them an inch they will take a mile and that's exactly what the owners did and i don't blame them for that right now, let me tell you how they've taken advantage of this since 93. Let me tell you about a time a man was franchise tagged three off seasons in a row. Do you remember Walter Jones? Yes, Seattle Walter Jones. <laughs> he was tagged three times in a row before holding out on a long-term deal. The league and the players union actually found this so egregious that now there's a rule in place limiting teams to two tags on one individual player. But that hasn't stopped some notable stars and some of your favorite NFL players from being tagged twice. Most famously, I think, is Kirk Cousins and, of course, Le'Veon Bell, who ended up sitting out the whole season waiting for that long-term contract he ended up getting from the New York Jets. Also, Demarcus Lawrence from the Cowboys in 2018 and 2019, Leonard Williams and Dak Prescott in 2020 and 2021, and most recently, Cam Robinson in 2021 and 2022. What started as a way to, in quotes, honor players for their value, giving them guaranteed money in the hopes of landing a long-term deal, is now started to be used as a handcuff for stars and eliminating negotiating power of agents giving clear advantages to the ownership groups. But since it doesn't seem as if the franchise tag is going anywhere in the NFL, there have been a few amendments, none more impactful in my opinion than Article 10, Section 2K of the CBA. Uh, I'm going to reference Mike Florio, who wrote an article last offseason explaining the limitations teams have with extending players after the mid-July deadline, aka Article 10, Section 2K which states, after July 15th, the player may sign only a one-year player contract with his prior club for that season, and such player contract may not be extended until after the club's regular season game of that league year and why i thought this was super important is because you got to give a shout out to florio his hypothetical scenario which i think would be an awesome thing to think about if a team cannot get a deal done by that date july 15th is the date in the uh in the cpa 
they no longer can negotiate until the last game of the regular season, AKA the league year, right? Therefore, a scenario could ensue that if a team makes a playoff with their franchise tagged player, that player then could technically hold out of that playoff game or force the team's hand then and there for a long-term deal. That would be unprecedented, but wow, would that make some amazing contact. Anyways, the number of franchise tag players seems to rise every single year, and it's usually the biggest names. While in 93, they thought this would only be valuable to the owners because they could not lose their franchise quarterbacks, other positions and specific players have shown to be too valuable, too vital cornerstones to their franchises, and that's where the NFL finds itself in a dilemma of if the tag helps or hinders players' abilities to sustain long-term financial success while keeping the ownership happy. Yeah, man, I thought that was that was fantastic. You know, we I think when we really rooted ourselves in this new format of trying to tell, you know, a small story every week and and a larger story once a month, the original concept was just the education and in the interest, the intrigue, right? Like this is a massive massive deal for the NFL and has been for a large portion of our fandom. You know, you mentioned some of the names and I, Le'Veon Bell is the biggest one that sticks out for me, but that detailed history and how it came to be it's fascinating that one owner could simply have like that much power where it's like, oh, okay, yeah, this is no big deal. Like we'll, we'll let this slide in. And then ultimately to have the league and the ownership down the road abuse it the way they did. And for Walter Jones, right? If I'm correct, an all pro hall of fame tackle, right? Like that's, it's really disappointing that it took that for them to even just put the provisions in that we have now, which I don't, I still don't think are in the player's best interest, right? Obviously, but you know, we have a long way to go before I, I think this is, you know, okay for both sides. And I think some of the names we're going to talk about today are really negatively impacted as past franchise take classes have been. But the biggest thought and the biggest takeaway I have is how much money would these guys be getting paid if there was absolutely no franchise take? I can't even imagine. Well, and that's the thing. And that's, that's the, I, I said it when we were doing prep, like that's the catch 22 of it. Right. Because you think in 93, uh, obviously like full transparency for the audience as year I was born. So obviously my context of life and adulthood and specifically like where I'm going with this is the city of Denver, right? Like in my mind, I'm still thinking Denver in the grand scope of things is a small market team. And it still kind of is to this day, right? You think about how the Nuggets just won the title and it's kind of like, oh, it's Denver, right? The same like you and I are Bucks fans and Packers, you know, we, 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 uh, we empathize with the small market. I, I'd consider in 93, that's where he was coming from, right? He was like, I can't lose Elway. Because even if I don't have, if even if I have enough cap or I have this, like, what's going to stop Jerry Jones from going and spending that money, right? What's going to stop some of these other teams pulling John Elway out of Denver? Because uh, if my math is correct, they still hadn't won their titles yet. John Elway had lost all those Super Bowls. He still hadn't gotten to the point where he won back-to-back titles before he retired, right? So... Um, I, I thought that was really interesting where it was like, no, 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 I want to find a way to keep John Elway, which makes sense. And even in today's market, when you look at T Higgins, when you look at Legereus Sneed, it's like, obviously, Cincy and Kansas City want to keep those guys. But 
And, and they have the right to do that. They drafted them. They should be able to do that. But those guys are now missing out on the opportunity to be the best wide receiver in the market this summer, the best cornerback in the market this summer, where some team would pay T Higgins a stupid amount of money this offseason, 100%, especially with the salary cap going up. Jarius Sneed, same thing. And that's where that that's where the catch comes in. You know, it's like they deserve that free market opportunity to get a deal. Um, I full transparency didn't look into see if either of them are on a non-exclusive franchise tag. If they are on the non-exclusive, I'm really intrigued to see how that negotiating process goes for the both of them. Um, and if they're not, if they do sign a long-term deal, or I did hear on talk radio today that Kansas city is fully intending to trade Snead if they can't get a deal done with him. So you hear a lot of that BS this time of the year. Cause it's, it's draft season. So I don't know. I, I just find it so wildly interesting that the NFL has got themselves in a situation where it seemed like the intentions were good off the bat, but like, it really does give the ownership the advantage, in my no, opinion. No, it, it absolutely does. And, you know, while you were talking and, and going over the current players that either have been capped or are, are at risk of being capped, I, I wanted to find out when the NFL implemented the salary cap to coincide with this franchise tag. So first question, you said it was 1994 for John, for the, the, the cap because of John Elway, correct? Well, the the franchise tag for the stuff I was reading was ninety three. Okay, they were they were negotiating the CBA at the time. Okay, and that makes sense. So what's crazy, and we'll probably do an episode on this as well. You know, not necessarily soon because we have other you know stories coming up. But the NFL salary cap was introduced between the nineteen um, ninety four or ninety three and ninety four season. Same okay, CBA. So right at I'm that reading. CBA. Yeah, yep. I mean that makes sense. But it's it was crazy salary. It think. was salary cap and um, uh, and free agency was being yeah. negotiated at the time. Then, oh, okay, because up until that point, free agency was not a thing, right? And I know sure. it, it yeah. was weird. All things we'll probably do stories on, um, but it's fascinating that time period in the NFL, right? Like players' rights, the way the league was like really starting to rise in popularity, the the power that each player had. I mean, I asked the question, right? How much money do we really think these players would be making without a salary cap? If you're at risk of losing, let's just say Jordan Love. I think he's the easiest one to put on the table. Guy that sat around for a few years, you know, signed out his fourth and fifth year um, option slash, you know, his his last rookie contract year. And he has the ability in just one season to hit the open market. You cannot keep him unless you sign him. All you can do is throw a massive bag of money at him. Jordan, you want 70 a year? You want 80? No. Okay. What about 110? No. How about 150 a year? Like I genuinely think certain markets would be forced to pay mm. that amount of money. $150 million a year, right? You are almost half our salary cap because you know what? It's cold. Maybe we suck. And, uh, you know, the Rams are offering you 85 or we'll be offering you 90. And that sounds way more desirable than here. So here's $150 million a year. So I do think it's a good thing for the league. I think it's a good thing for the fans. I think it's a good thing for the structure. It's a terrible thing for the players. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, that's where, that's where you get into the, the, uh, 
the MLB conversation too that we had, right? But yeah, it, it's really interesting how how it all turned out, right? And how every single year we have this drama. Um, but reading the article that I referenced from Mike Florio in in the quick little clip there was interesting. That hypothetical scenario that he had brought forth in the article regarding the July 15th um, deadline to basically get the contract done for the guy on the franchise tag. And that if, could you imagine this? So he, in the article, he brought up Saquon Barkley. So he said, could you imagine Saquon Barkley finishes out his 17 game season? The giants make the wild card round of the playoffs. And he goes, I'm not playing. He's not under contract. Could, could you imagine that? Like, do you think I could do, I guess the question is, could you see that happening one day? I, I genuinely think right player, right personality guy who's been disrespected goes out and has an MVP year. Like, I think we could see that happening. Well, I don't know if you know, Saquon is technically that guy. I don't know. But like, I don't know. I was just like that. Could you imagine the media frenzy that week? Saquon's not in the facility. It's Wednesday. They're playing the Packers Sunday night. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? How crazy well, would that be? If I'm right with my, you know, my ability to dissect the story, it's literally though because he he is out. Like his contract ended week 17, right? Like they can't. There's this weird window because yeah, that, the, the, right. I I don't know how technical it is with that like clause. If it's like you're really not under contract, um, but basically you're you're back to having open negotiations at that point. I think is how it is. Um, I want to read the article but, and, and get a better defined nature of it. But my big takeaway is any player can do that at any time. Patrick Mahomes says, you know what? $500 million. It's not enough. I don't give a shit about my public appearance. You know what, Chiefs? Um, I'm just not going to play unless you pay me 100 guarantee it a year. It's not. Like, I'm good. Like, you want to win, win the first round of the playoffs or not? Like, it's up to you. Um, pay me $100 million a year and, and I'll, I'll suit up for the game. Like any player can do that. Every player has the right to be like, I quit my job or pay me more at any given time. And they do it, you know? Now they don't do it that egregiously where it's like a week before the playoffs or even leading up to the playoffs. But I would almost encourage them to do it. Like you want the power back, the franchise cat like tag, like, you know, Josh Allen, Jordan Love, Brock Purdy, Patrick Mahomes. Tell tell it tell the league you're sitting out. I guarantee yeah. you that franchise franchise tag is gone in six days. Gone. Goodbye. <laughs> like it, it's they like they're not jeopardizing a billion dollar weekend for anything. And but that's the same concept as any like any organized union or like just organization of people in general. Like when you organize, you have extreme power. The problem is everyone just lives in fear. So yeah, dude, it's. It's interesting. I don't think it will happen either, though. It, it's just no, like no. I don't think it'll happen either, and I also don't think they'll eliminate the franchise tag because I think the one benefit is on the flip side. When I start thinking about like the National Basketball Association, right? They obviously don't have a franchise tag, and they have all these different rules and things in place where if you stay loyal to your team, you could make X amount more, right? Like that's their version of the franchise tag, in my opinion. Yeah. Obviously, it's not even close to the same. But well, if the owners you, ruined it too, <clears throat> right? But if you stay like Damian Lillard, you stay in. Portland, we will be able to spend, you know, I don't know his contract's insane. It's like 250 million, $300 million in Portland. But if you went, the max you could get anywhere else is, 
we'll say $25 million less, you know, overall. But then what started happening in the NBA with Lillard, with Harden, with KD, with all these guys. Oh, well, KD's actually not a good example. But with Lillard and Harden specifically is they were like, oh, okay, cool. Got my contract. Uh, trade me. Trade me. Like to your point, you know, like and not only trade me, like I'm fucking out. Like don't expect to see me here anymore. Appreciate the contract. Appreciate the time. Right. Which is, I think, the problem that you would start having in the NFL, too. You know, like you would get. Something would happen along the lines of last offseason. The Bengals are going to do something to pay T Higgins or to, you know, get get money out there. And then he's just going to be like, all right, I want out anyways. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like that scenario would still somehow work its way into the NFL if they got the if they got rid of the franchise tag. Well, that's why I say the NBA owners ruined it. You know, if, if I think it was Harden, if I remember correctly, another story idea, right? Um that started this trend in the NBA. If I had been the owner, I'd been like, good, sit your ass at home for five years. You don't get paid a dollar because I get to find you every single day. You don't get paid if you're not suiting up with the team, right? And I'm not trading you because I'm not allowing you to have the leverage in this situation. And I know at the time, especially with Harden, there was some weird shit going on with the owner. So like, you know, save face, I yeah. think, trading. Well, it was the was... GM more than the, uh, more okay. than the owner, but yeah. There's some issues, right? So like, it just, it was like, oh, we'll wash our hands of this. And then it became like, oh, I'll sign my deal. And then you're going to trade me. They should never as ownership or general management allowed that to happen. Like you sign the deal. We've got you for four years. You are ours for four years. You're playing here. You're, if you're, if you're a distraction, I don't care because we're not going to win without you anyways. Be a distraction. You know, have the entire team hate you. Like let's, let's make this as awkward as possible for as long as possible. Because you know what? I'm already fired. Like you asking for a trade already has me fired, whether it's tomorrow or a year from now or two years from now, my job is gone. So I'm going to, I'm going to hold as much leverage as I can. And I think we saw that with Portland and that was a really good job by them of holding on, right? Not, not taking what Miami was giving them and saying, no, like we're going to make, we're going to make this work. And then it just happened to be the irony that Damian Lillard was just so heartbroken, Freddie Freeman heartbroken over leaving. And it's like, that's what you get. You know, you, you have these emotions and you have these agents and these in the circle around you telling you, you deserve to be playing in Miami or you deserve to be playing in Milwaukee, but do you really want to? And also, I think I'll trace that back to James Harden, like the talks about him possibly having desires to go back to Houston before he joined the Clippers. It's just really funny how the human mind goes through its its cycles and you realize damn like probably wasn't the right move grass wasn't grass yeah, wasn't greener wasn't greener I as simple as greener. that statement is it's, it's such a true statement in so many facets of life right like the grass is not always greener um but yeah dude from the nfl's perspective i would take the same approach if that ever happened uh and it did it did with Le'Veon and it did with mike mckenzie i was too young to remember exactly what happened with mike mckenzie but I remember the the newspapers at the time. Mike McKenzie was a Green Bay Packers cornerback, had awesome dreadlocks. He was a really fun player, Hell especially yeah. for us when we were young, because like that was his he was identifier on the field. And he Him played and in Harris, the around. Yeah. yeah. And um and something where he like demanded to trade or wanted to trade, and ownership and or I guess, you know, management came out and said, Tough shit. You're you're not trading you. And it dragged on long enough where he was ultimately traded to the the, um, the Saints, Saints, I think, right? Yep. Yeah. And 
just a really interesting di power dynamic because it reminded me a lot about Lillard where it was like, you can come out and ask for a trade. We'll buff that for three or four months. We'll take back the leverage from the media so the players don't think we're weak and then we'll trade you. And that's a much better avenue than what happened with Harden and ultimately what happened with you know other players. But the downside for the player is the Le'Veon Bell situation where <clears throat> well, you balk and you don't get paid. Well, I mean, he yeah, he lost a whole year's worth of paycheck, but then he got his deal yeah. and then he was washed and it is what it is. But I think you could like to, to tie a bow on this, like if they were to get rid of it, I think the best case scenario could be trade deadline, though, you know, because it could be trade deadline middle of the season. And it's like, all right, man, Higgins doesn't have a long term deal. He he's he's formally put in his trade request, right? Talking about Cincinnati here. Joe's hurt and shit's going on. And it's like, all right, I guess we got to get T Higgins because we got to trade T Higgins because we can't let the man walk out of the door and not get anything in return, right? You start to get into that dynamic, which I think would be super fun and and really exciting from a fan's perspective, <laughs> but from uh from a GM and a mental health perspective from the players, like getting trading in, in football in the middle of the season uh, doesn't seem super fun. You know what well, I mean? In, in learning a new offense, but from a, from a sheer viewer's perspective and like fantasy and all that stuff, like it could be really, really cool. Well, let's look at the most electric trade deadline. It's major league baseball, right? I think consensusly. The sure. Biggest yeah, names it's usually pretty good. Why? Because the contracts expire. There is no incentive for these players to sign with their homegrown team or the team that in the organization that they're currently with, yeah. right? In three months, they're gone. You get a 35th overall pick if you're lucky, you know, some nice yeah. high school shortstop. Yeah, it's like there's no way you're not hitting the open market in Major League Baseball. Yeah, like so, you're, you're a freaking yeah. moron if you don't. If you do don't, that. yeah, and or you're a genius in Christian Yelich's case for signing the deal before the back went out. Right there, there sure. are both situations, but you're right. Like you hit the open market, but that is why their trade deadline always has the biggest names move because teams, ad, you know, adversely will say, "Hey, I'm not losing this guy for nothing." Just like Unless the situation. you're already Moreno, but that's okay, you know. Uh, like or, or the Cubs, <laughs> right? They they held on to their guys far too long. Sure. Um, and I I think I love your situation, right? Where it's like, or I'd even take it a step further, Matt. If the day after the trade trade deadline they don't have an extension, they are like ineligible the rest of the season. They get paid, but they're ineligible. They can't play. They can't. Nah, suit that's up. stupid. But I, hey, listen, I, like that would force you. Either way to trade them, they're gone. Like I, either way I lose them, either I'm paying yeah. them or I trade them. Like th there is no leverage at that point, right? Now, yeah. yes, you could theoretically tag them for that second <laughs> year, which would be really weird. But I like the idea of the trade deadline. You know, I maybe it's not that they're ineligible the rest of the season. Maybe it's like they can play the season out, but then they're ineligible for the playoffs. If a player has been tagged, they are ineligible for the playoffs. Like, do you really think coming to the negotiating table with Jordan Love and, you know, saying, well, you know, we can always tag him and he'll laugh in your face. You know, we just went 14 and three and I'm not playing in the playoffs because you had tagged me. Are you stupid? Uh, you're going to pay me. Like it does give a little bit more leverage back to the player. Yeah, for sure. Um, all in all, it's franchise tag week. Should be fun.
I'm good if you're good. Cool. All right, everyone. Well, hey, we're on we're we're on YouTube at PitcherBetPod, Twitter, TikTok, Instagram. You know where to find us. See you guys next week. See.